fans and Lucy's and Ethel's and Frethel's supporters. <laughs> I'm Allison Wierma. I'm Corinne Eckhart. I'm Molly Lyons. Today we're talking about new neighbors. Between last week and this week, we're meeting a lot of new people in the neighborhood, which is kind of nice. As much as I love Lucy and Fred and Ricky and Ethel, it's nice to see some fresh faces. Mixing it up. Yeah. This episode aired March 3rd, 1952. And we have a quick little synopsis for you. Lucy thinks the new neighbors are plotting a murder. Yet again, she thinks someone is trying to murder someone. A murder of who? A murder? A murder? Lucy and Ethel are snooping out their window, and (laughs) Ricky calls them the nosy twins. Is that like a play off the Bopsy twins? (laughs) Could be. Either way, not wrong. He's not wrong about them being the nosy twins. Well, they're smart about how nosy they are because they're resting on pillows. I know. They brought props. Yeah. For comfort. Yeah. And binoculars. (laughs) And binoculars. So he says, I'm surprised they're not using binoculars. Oh, I forgot I had them. (laughs) They were already around her neck. I thought it was really good writing. I mean, she probably has a box for snooping. Well, I feel like Ethel probably taught her everything she knows. True. Well, Ethel reads postcards. We've already established that. Love. Ethel. Let's just say this wasn't their first spy session. <laughs> they, they know they know what to do. Well, and then the boys really want to see the binoculars after they mention how attractive the woman is. Because at first they're like chatting about how handsome the man is, and of course Fred and Ricky don't want to hear that. And then as soon as they're like, the blonde with the figure. And then later Ethel they says, run on oh, Fred's never too busy when there's a blonde around. Isn't Ethel a blonde? Yeah, she's a blonde. Yeah. It's like, he's got a type. Yeah, clearly. We've never seen this window before. It's the fourth wall we don't see. No. Mm-hmm. So it's like the way that we look into their apartment then mm-hmm. kind of is it's through that view. window. Yeah. It's wild. That's crazy. And so they're watching. They're kind of judging the furniture. seems like the first thing is they're trying to check out what all of their things are. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty common way to figure out who your neighbor would be. Yeah. Like watching someone unpack. Don't you feel like this trope's been used too? Uh, Have you ever seen Remember the Titans? No, actually. Is that bad? No, I mean, it's a very good film and you should try it. Corinne's like, get out. Don't come back to me and talk to me until you've seen Remember the Titans. You know how she feels about integrated high school football. (laughs) No, but I happen to have this copy in my back pocket. Why don't we pop it in right now and then we'll come back. It's a VHS copy. (laughs) There's a scene in Remember the Titans where Denzel Washington and his family are moving into the neighborhood and they are a black family moving into a predominantly white neighborhood. And so the shots are the black family and the movers unloading the moving truck and then just all the white families in their windows looking out and peering and whispering to each other. And this reminded me of that. Even though we never see them unload the truck, Mm -hmm. it was very much like those vibes. There's also an episode of Friends where two of the guys, it's Ross and Joey, come across a, like a cute girl moving in. And so oh, yeah, they, and they help her. They volunteer to help mm-hmm. her move in. But that was their way of getting in with her was like carrying all her stuff. And then they were very surprised to learn like how heavy all the boxes were. I kept thinking about the Rugrats episode, which Rugrats is one of the best shows ever. It was Iconic. Truly <laughs> iconic. When the, their new neighbor Susie moves in, um, everyone goes over to, like, see her house, and there are movers outside, and they're moving boxes, and, like, that's just the stereotype of, like, movers just not caring about your breakable stuff, mm-hmm. and they're looking at a box, and they go, fragile, what does that mean? And then they, like, toss it over the truck, <laughs> and it breaks, and then Susie Carmichael's parents have all these jello molds in their fridge, because all the neighbors were bringing them jello to welcome them to the neighborhood. 
Well, that's so nice. Why aren't, like, Lucy and Ethel bringing over jello molds or casseroles? And that's such a good excuse for, like, either them to bring something over to go, like, scope out the new people. It would have been really cute if, like, Fred and Ricky had done that, too. You know, they bring cookies downstairs. Welcome, Wagon. Yeah. They're not being very friendly. That would have been so normal. I don't know why Ricky's so opposed to her going down there. Yeah, especially since Ethel and Fred are the landlord and landlady. Yeah, and you're their upstairs neighbors. Like, you want to be nice? Maybe they're just too clicky. There seems to be a theme here, which is Ricky doesn't want Lucy to mess in other people's lives, whether it's, like, their romantic lives, setting up Miss Lewis, or gossip and spying, snooping. reading other people's mail. Yeah. I wonder what the straw was that broke the camel's back, because he wasn't so opposed to Lucy doing it in the earlier episodes. Or maybe it was just she did it more behind his back. Right. Well, because there have been other escapades where you, you could see Ricky getting mad. The Adagio or the quiz show, where that's just her getting into her own hijinks. She's not trying to bust into anybody else's. Well, I mean, sometimes the episode centers around her trying to get on stage or perform mm-hmm. or enter show business. And he doesn't want her to do that either. And it's like, Ricky, What do you want her to do? Yeah. yeah. you got to give her a hobby. So, like, either she snoops or she tries to perform or both or does whatever she wants because she's a woman and she can. Yeah, it seems unclear what is a pro- what would be appropriate in he, his mind. I don't know. I mean, if he really doesn't want her to do be involved in show business, he should let her be in a show, fail, and she won't ask for it again. But then that's also mean, and that's probably why he won't do that, because yeah. maybe he knows that that's what's going to happen. Right. And, and I think he wants would, to save her from that embarrassment. It would break her heart, and I think it would be too hard for him to, to watch that. Well, also, we talked about him not wanting her to perform during Drafted, for the soldiers, because he doesn't want to share her, and that's, like, another yeah. another theory. Right. Oh, and I love in this episode, Lucy has a great sarcastic comment where she, I think Ricky's wants food or something. He's like, honey, where's my breakfast? And she goes, oh, his majesty is hungry. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> roll and, yeah, so good. Also, like, looking back on the breakfast she typically cooks him, like, in the last episode when she did that amazing to- flying toast moment. Oh, that was so good. I'm sorry, Ricky. You can put bread in a toaster and put butter on it. Ugh. If you're a hungry man, <laughs> yeah, like go take care of it. It's a pretty simple breakfast. It's a little weird that we never have seen him cook, right? He was the cook, though, and in real life, does he like to cook? So then we meet Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien, and they're played by Hayden Rourke and Katie Stevens. And Hayden Rourke ends up being Dr. Bellows on I Dream of Jeannie after this. I loved that show. Oh, me too. Another great woman-centered sitcom. And this is Hayden Rourke's first television appearance of his oh, entire yeah. career. So oh, notable. when. And Katie Stevens in real life, she was one of Vivian Vance's best friends. Katie was giving us such Lauren Bacall vibes. Mm, Something uh, about the hair and then the blouse, the wide belt, and the mm-hmm. full skirt. I'd like to think that those three gals probably would drink Bloody Marys over brunch together and just have a wild time in real life. When we meet Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien, they're rehearsing for a television show. It's a series about Russian spies, communists. We'll we'll guess Russian based on the accents, yeah. Oh, that's right. They never actually specify. Right. Um, Well, speaking of history, uh, some context around sort of American history when this episode of television was made the trial of julius and ethel rosenberg who were convicted of espionage a married couple who were convicted of espionage took place 
right before this episode of television was written in they were convicted in april of 1951 and this episode was march of 1952 a rip from the headlines sort of episode it's a regular law and order it's almost weird that we learn so much about the play before lucy hears it yeah if we had just learned that they were actors they were rehearsing a play even if they were like playing communists and they wanted to blow up the capital that would have been interesting enough and then to hear for the first time they wanted to kill the people upstairs the redhead with the bulging eyes and the muscles which is like remarkably convenient slash inconvenient depending on how you think about it don't you think it would have been a more genuine reaction if the audience learned it at the same time lucy learned it yeah because it just feels like we're hearing it again yeah well, it makes the joke more be about Lucy's reaction, how absurd she behaves. All of the faces she's making in the closet while she's listening in, where like she's making her eyes bulge. The joke is that she looks so ridiculous and that we have all the information and we are never duped and she's being so ridiculous. So it's kind of like putting her in a position of like we're laughing at her. Yeah. I mean, she carries it. Yeah, she does. But also, they didn't even sound Russian. They sounded like Transylvanian vampires. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to take the capital. <laughs> it was very actory in its delivery. And it was very sort of self-aware and making jokes about TV because the husband and wife who are actors and they're like, this dialogue is pretty corny, even for TV. <laughs> you know, that's pretty corny dialogue. Yeah, even for television. <laughs> yeah, it got a big laugh from the audience. Well, this is a TV show about the industry, even though it, that's not the first thing you think about when you think of I Love Lucy, is that it's a show about the entertainment industry, but it kind of is. I mean, yeah, Ricky's in show business. Ricky's in it, and it and, comes up a lot. And Fred and Ethel were in vaudeville. Like, really, Lucy's the only person who's never really worked in show business. Despite her best efforts. <laughs> Much to her chagrin, never worked in the biz. I love the word chagrin. Then Ethel breaks into the apartment when she hears them leave. That's the first time we see someone do, like, something very inappropriate in this episode. Right. Let's like, say it's Ethel who starts the shenanigans. Yeah, and she puts so much blame on Lucy later. And Lucy agrees to the terms of Ricky's decree that she will not set foot in the apartment downstairs, which leads to some creative activity in terms of how to investigate this new apartment. Comes in on her knees. Scooting around with her feet up. Yeah, she abandons it once the hits the fan. <laughs> once she enters crisis mode. Right. She's in the closet despite all the past episodes where she's hiding all her friends in her closet. <laughs> Tables are turned. It's the only hiding place she knows. <laughs> she overhears this plot, thinks it's about killing her and Ricky, then finds the most convenient disguise, which is as an armchair. Slipcover. Yeah. She pulls it over her head and pretends to be a chair. And then just shuffles out of the apartment. Not without being sad upon first. Which is impressive. <laughs> Strong calves. Girl's been doing some wall sits. And we asked a question in an earlier episode, what were the girls going to get into next? And we suggested yoga. There's some solid chair pose happening. I think yeah. they did get into yoga. Definitely. Some power Questions, chairs. Question literal and answered. figurative. <laughs> well, and also the fact that the actors were so in their scene that they like didn't notice that the furniture was migrating around the room. So once she safely escaped, she's back in the apartment and she tries to tell everyone what happened, but no one believes her. And truthfully, like everything she's saying is 100% accurate. Yeah. Based off the information that she has. She calls the police and they're like, wait, so how did you get out if you were with these murderous people? She's like, well, I pretended to be a chair. 
Duh. Have you also not pretended to be a chair? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I did what anybody would do. Police Sergeant Alan Jenkins, who will appear three times total as a policeman. I'm sure he shows some real range in this policeman role. <laughs> He's the policeman of New York City. There's only one. <laughs> a joke that I just would not make any sense and wouldn't get laughs now. He says, well, what's their last name? And she goes, O'Brien. And there's a laugh. He's like, well, it doesn't sound like they're spies at all. And it's like, well, if people were undercover, they might pick any kind of name. <laughs> so like, Yeah, that's very the Americans. Ricky's not doesn't believe Lucy. And she's like, I know I've been a bad girl and you can spank me tomorrow. Ugh. Oh, yeah. The sense of discipline in this episode is very extreme, especially Ugh. after the Cupid episode where it got a little dark. It's got upsetting. I'm requesting a moratorium on the spanking. They should not be addressing that. Yeah, and apparently this was like a pretty common yeah. thing that people talked about in culture back then, right? Yeah, now? yeah, that was a thing. You could spank your wife. It's just like part of discipline. I'm sticking with my original theory that it's creepy to discipline someone you're sleeping with. Yeah, your partner. That's just weird. Yeah. You literally have the upper hand <laughs> that scenario. Oh. I don't like it. Oh, also, remembering now... The Titans? Uh, always. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Lucy's outfit, when she is going and investigating their apartment, is so cute. And she's wearing these cute, tailored, kind of high-waisted slacks and a baseball tee. And it just looks so cute. And I was like, I would 100% wear that. Yeah, dressy pants and the casual tee. She pulls off what I wish I could pull off. Totally. And I think it's the first time we see her in a t-shirt or Ethel in a t-shirt or any woman in a t-shirt. Ethel wore a mink t-shirt two episodes ago, lest we forget. I'm not sure that counts. It was more of a crafts project. (laughs) DIY mink (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Speaking of sportier things. Sportier things. Tell me more. We're building on the sporty theme. Um, Speaking of sporty things, Fred wears a catcher's mitt as protection while everyone else has pans on their head. That's right, because when the boys finally get on board with this whole idea, when they go down and listen through the furnace. Yeah, please advise, how do furnaces work? There's got to be a pipe that carries the gas from one furnace to another, so I guess it also carries sound. Something to do with the ventilation system carrying heat. There is a Will and Grace episode where they spy on their downstairs neighbors through a vent. Will and Grace both listen to these people have an argument downstairs and they get addicted to it like a soap opera. So every day they come home and they just like kneel on the ground and have some popcorn and listen to their downstairs neighbors fight and someone's cheating on someone else and maybe someone else is cheating and it's just a whole mess. So, so, yeah, so finally Fred and Ricky believe Lucy. Though it does take a while for Ethel to get on board. She's not being a great friend in this episode. No, she's not. She's, like, trying to be one of the boys, I guess. I'm not into it. I think she's just very interested in doing the snooping, and I just think she didn't want to deal with all the complications Lucy brought to the table. Yeah. It would not surprise me if this is what Ethel does every time a new tenant moves in and has been doing it for years, and Lucy is totally messing with her ritual. This is her time. This is Ethel's time. Ethel's time to shine. (laughs) Well, she, like, reads people's mail. She checks out their apartment. This is her thing. It was all in good fun, and then it got serious. Right. So they all decide to get their guns out. Because they're like, yeah, that, those people are trying to murder us. Time to take out our rifles. They all take different segments of the apartment, and Ethel's in the kitchen eating naturally. She looks so cute with the pan over her head. And that chicken leg. Oh, 
And she doesn't know how to shoot a gun, yet she's carrying one. I call foul. It's got to be fake. It's just for the illusion. Also, this show seems to have a real issue with prop guns because... (laughs) Our favorite topic. Even setting up the idea of it, like, literally the last line in the scene before is... I think Ricky says, I'll get my gun. And then Fred's like, I have two in the basement. And then lo and behold, the next thing we see is four guns. I'm like, why did you say that? (laughs) Yeah. This just makes no sense. It's a little weird that the show treats guns like they're some ubiquitous thing everyone has. They also seem like strange guns to have if you live in Manhattan. Yeah, right. A hunting rifle. Right. That's what Fred does on the weekends. A pistol would make way more sense. Yeah. For protection. Yeah, and if you live in a city, for sure. But they run into trouble with their respective stations. (laughs) Fred wants to switch because he's hungry. I mean, I feel him there. And Ricky wants to switch because he's lonesome. And that breaks Lucy. Like, that's a genuine reaction. Yeah, that's so cute. He doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to be without her. So then they hear something outside and they decide that it's the couple from downstairs coming to murder them. And they all get behind the couch, which they've turned over. And Lucy's the general. Lucy's in charge. I mean, she was the one who got them into it, I guess. So she's the one who's going to get them out. And she did call the police and have that whole conversation. She's been sort of the leader. She's telling everyone to hold their fire. And then the phone rings. It startles all of them. Don't get excited. No. Don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes. Okay. Take it easy. Okay. And I think only Lucy, Ricky, and Fred shoot. Consistent. I was trying to pause to see the flashes to see which guns were actually going off, and I'm pretty sure Ethel never fired. She says she doesn't know how. <laughs> That's true. She did admit to that. Oh, embarrassing. I bet she like, didn't even load it. <laughs> it's just an accessory. <laughs> I mean, whatever it takes. Don't you till you see the whites of their eyes is a famous historical phrase that has many attributions through history. One of them, or the most prominent one, is at the... Battle of Bunker Hill in 1775, where people say it was said, but they're not sure by whom. Very revolutionary. But there are several other times throughout history, even previous to the Battle of Bunker Hill, that people claim that famous generals and leaders have said it. And she also says, let's not fire if we don't have to. She's claiming that she doesn't want any trigger-happy people, and then, of course, immediately they're all hurt. Yeah, they don't even see, I mean, a phone ringing should be like a normal sound in their life. They don't even see another person. And then there's some interesting defying the laws of physics in terms of how those bullets actually hit things. (laughs) Right through a hat. Right through a hat that was on a man's head and he was not at all harmed. Nope. And the door, it looked like it was like a zigzag pattern from the Flintstones that was cut out of it. It, Classic. Yeah, it was a Wile E. Coyote hole. Was that not how things happen in real life? (laughs) I no. wonder how they rigged it. A cutout of the door and they just had someone and call was, it. Probably. And there was kind of some smoke and stuff too. Yeah. But, uh, Special effects. <laughs> effects. CGI. <laughs> but yeah, the policeman's just kind of grumping around when pulls off his hat to show that like, you put a hole in here. And the next thing we see is the gang of four in jail. We open on that shot. And that image of the four friends who've gotten themselves into trouble and end up in jail together reminds me so much of the series finale of Seinfeld. I wonder if that was an inspiration for the Seinfeld episode. Let's just say it was. Let's give them the credit that they were paying an homage to a wonderful show. Seinfeld, you had it right all along. Seinfeld, call us. (laughs) Tweeted us, Jer. Mr. Seinfeld. They're being let out because apparently... In the I Love Lucy world, you can shoot at cops, but it just all gets cleared up by a misunderstanding. Oh, my gosh. 
Everyone is mad at her. Yeah, so Fred and Ethel are upset because the tenants are moving out, so they just lost rent, and because they burst a water pipe with all their shooting, and so the apartment complex has flooded. But they were the ones shooting, too. Yeah, Ethel's, in theory, the only one not to blame. But she broke into that apartment. She broke. So... So whose fault was it? It was your fault. It was her fault. It was her fault. Into the woods, guys. Well, don't look here. No, it's your fault, but it's her fault, but and it isn't mine at all. But what? It's like you could blame each of them separately. Totally. Yeah, after Ricky and Fred heard the neighbors talking and fully believed Lucy, they were as much to blame as Lucy. Exactly. Yeah, and Ethel's the one who was in the apartment first downstairs, which piqued Lucy's interest. But if Ricky had not told her explicitly that she could not go downstairs, I feel like she wouldn't have, maybe wouldn't have wanted to so badly. Yeah, there was like some aggressive scapegoating going on right there. Yeah, and then the paper printed orchestra leader jailed in shooting spree. Do papers really care about the orchestra leader of some nightclub act? Who? Maybe the world has really changed a lot, and back then it was a big deal. But It's the local paper. Yeah, it has to be. Upper East Side Gazette. It's like their co-op newsletter. (laughs) Has to be like the Post at a maximum. Or the New York Daily News. What is it, the Sun? Mm. Or the Star? The Observer. Well, we need to keep tracking it because there's always little hints of what's going on in Ricky's career. Yeah, like how famous is Ricky? Yeah. I think it's something that we should be watching. Because there's a lot of like, oh, I got this new act and this new guy wants to put me in his show. And in this case, it's like, oh, now he faces a career setback because his mm-hmm. public image has been tarnished. And he's so angry that she wants to stay in jail. You know what's funny is he probably was being talked about in papers a lot just by virtue of being on this very popular television show. Their theory is that this whole plot line is so similar to is in 30 Rock. And we've already talked about how Lucy and Liz Lemon are very comparable characters. But Liz Lemon mistakes her neighbor, Raheem, played by Fred Armisen, for a terrorist. And it's supposed to be a commentary sort of racial profiling and people's prejudices. But she thinks that he is a terrorist because she finds out he knows a lot about airports and he's training for some big project. And it turns out that he really just wants to be on The Amazing Race and he's making an application video for The Amazing Race, but she gets him put in jail. So it's kind of the reverse. In that, in that case, Liz really just has to live with the guilt while Lucy ends up in jail and with everyone mad at her. Yeah. This show could be a drama, guys, where Lucy, instead of being paranoid, Lucy was the one who's right all along. Mm-hmm. What a nightmare. Ooh, yeah. I love Lucy's spinoff for the week is Lucy is just a regular civilian, overhears a terrorist plot to blow up the cat and goes on a wild manhunt for the culprits. Yeah, and she's just fighting against all these people who love her and don't believe her. It's like, oh, she's just a hysterical woman. Yeah. We can't listen to her. Yeah. Lucy as a detective chasing leads. (laughs) I'd watch that show. (laughs) Me too. It's Murder, She Wrote, but with Lucy. Come on, I want like Harriet the Spy meets I Love Lucy. Nancy Drew. Lucy would be an incredible film noir, like, detective. (laughs) Just imagine the narration of her. It's like her doing Bogart in in (laughs) The Maltese Falcon. (laughs) She's, like, smoking a cigarette and, like, looking very serious. I imagine her wearing um, a monocle and she turns to face the camera and she's like, oh. (laughs) 
You guys can't get a good visual on what I just did there. It was pretty good. But you can imagine. <laughs> I want to mention something that comes up later in Lucille Ball's real life is in 1953, which is approximately a year after this episode airs, a House committee makes public her voting record and reveals that she registered as a communist in 1936. And then she received this huge backlash of people questioning her, you know, patriotism. And then it came out through her testimony and the testimony of her brother and mother that she only registered as a communist to please her grandfather, who coincidentally is named Fred, Fred Hunt. So Desi, when asked, says the only thing read about Lucy is her hair, and even that's not legitimate. (laughs) Zing! (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about how even from the beginning of television, the sort of relationship between media and entertainment and politics have always sort of intersected in a very interesting way. And that's sort of emblematic of the whole Red Scare and how afraid people were in this country. And we're in a very interesting time in our own modern political history. It was a very complicated relationship between people in political power and the press and the media. So I think it's a very topical story. And watching Lucy deal with patriotism is an interesting thing. Yeah, it's both sad and haunting to realize that we haven't come that far. History repeats itself. Yeah. I guess, I mean, we could look at it as being comforting. It's like, oh, this is just the world. Like, this is the way it's always been. It's a phase. As the world turns. These are the days of our lives. Through the sands of the hourglass. Such as uh, such are, so are these the days of our lives. Once we (laughs) once we conclude, we love Lucy recaps. We'll just start on as the world turns, and we'll we'll be done when we're eighty. My goodness, could you imagine? And then the bold and the beautiful. (laughs) Recapping a soap. That's just what I. That's just what I call my breasts. The both and the beautiful. The both and the beautiful. Which one's which? Well, obviously this one is. <laughs> Guys, I think that's it for this episode. That wraps it that up. That is it. Next week, we'll continue on the Lucy journey and watch Fred and Ethel fight, which is the first time that they'll have been mentioned in a title. But also not the first time we will have been seeing them fight. Ugh, nor the last. So this will be a notable fight, I would imagine. The fight to end all fights. But yeah, come. Frethel fight. Oh, Frethel. Frethel fight. Circle back with us next week and find out what happens when Fred and Ethel go toe to toe. You can follow us at We Love Lucy Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow us at We Love Lucy Pod on Twitter. And if you have any thoughts or feelings or questions or anything at all, you can email us at We Love Lucy Pod at gmail.com. Keep on living, Lucy's. <laughs> <laughs>